We are TFR. I was lying down in the house of my grandfather, Malalel, when I saw in a vision heaven purifying and snatched away. And falling to the earth, I saw likewise the earth absorbed by a great abyss, and mountains suspended over mountains. Hills were sinking upon hills. Lofty trees were gliding off from their trunks and were in the act of being projected and of sinking into the abyss. Being alarmed at these things, my voice faltered. I cried out and said, The earth is destroyed. Then my grandfather, Malalel, raised me up and said to me, Why dost thou thus cry out, my son? And wherefore dost thou thus lament? I related to him the whole vision which I had seen. He said to me, Confirmed is that which thou hast potent the vision of thy dream, respecting every secret sin of the earth. Its substance shall sink into the abyss, and a great destruction take place. Now, my son, rise up and beseech the Lord of glory, for thou art faithful that a remnant may be left upon the earth, and that... And that the earth shall there be a great destruction. Uh, Enoch, chapter 83, verses 4 through 6. Um, it seems to me that in this is seeing and has saw, uh, envisioned what had occurred previous to the coming destruction, which would be the flood of Noah's day, and that the Most High was showing him what, Gary, you and I had spoken about uh, yesterday evening in talking about how the earth became without form and void in Genesis 1 uh, and verse 2. Uh, and so I'm your host, everyone. This is Zen Garcia. This is Secrets Field. And I have a special guest with me this evening, Gary Wayne. Gary, you there, brother? I am, and uh, so happy to be back for uh, evening two, and very much looking forward to uh, the second part of our conversation. Yes, me too. Uh, and for those that missed it, um, last night we started the discussion of the war in heaven, and this evening we will follow up in speaking about how the two incursions, that of the rebel angels prior to the antediluvian age, connect with the war in heaven and also with the earth becoming without form and void and also the follow-up with regard to the 200 watchers descending down upon the on mount hermon and how their interdiction into the affairs of humanity led to the race of giants um, that is described uh, as being born and also that led to uh, the destruction as far as with regard to Noah's flood um, and the incursion uh, of the giants with regard to the war in Canaan land during Joshua's time. So, uh, Gary, if you would give out all your website contact information and then comment on uh, what I said and we'll proceed forward. 
Sure. My website is the Genesis6Conspiracy.com. That's Genesis6 with the number 6. And you can contact me through my uh, Genesis6Conspiracy email off of that website. And uh, you can also check out uh, a generous excerpt of every chapter that I have in my book uh, so you can get a good feel for it. Uh, you can uh, also uh, link into barnesandnoble.com and amazon.com, amazon.ca, and the Kindle version off the uh, website as well as get a signed copy if, uh, if you're interested in getting one that's signed by myself. You can also follow me and contact me through my Facebook site, Gary Wayne Timeline. And, you know, I post there regularly with a major posting every week. And I also have a couple Genesis 6 conspiracy pages. And I'm also contributing um, regularly to the newly formed Gary Wayne Genesis 6 conspiracy group. And you can also follow me on Twitter at Gary Wayne 63 at Gary Wayne 63. All right, most excellent. Um, well, I know that this particular topic falls in line with much of your research and uh, all the information that you brought forth uh, in the Genesis conspiracy, which for those that don't know, uh, is a very elaborate and detailed book covering these topics from all cultures um, and all mythologies and and uniting the premise, the theme of the mythology with that of the uh, the biblical narrative. And so uh, Gary has summarized and put together the, the puzzles, the pieces of the puzzle of truth in showing and um, documenting and layout uh, the fullness of the story that we began in discussion uh, yesterday and in also in previous shows and series that we've done and so if you would gary talk about the the premise of as far as the genesis 6 and also your research with regard to um the the dual incursion as there being a a separate antediluvian incursion of angels uh, i call that the rebel angels and um and the war in heaven the one-third that joined lucifer in rebellion and then also um, speak, you know, we'll go forward and speak about the, the Watchers and, and how it was that you came to understand these as different uh, events. Yeah, and we talked a little bit about that last night in terms of understanding different passages in the Bible and also uh, connecting what other cultures and other religions have to say about prehistory and the chronology and the fitting in of what took place uh, seems to have a better fit when you look at the angelic rebellion happening before Genesis uh, 1, 1 to 1, 2, where you have a renewal or a recreation of, of the earth. Some people call this the gap theory. I, I like to call it the renewal of the earth because as in Psalms 104.30, it talks about the Holy Spirit that is shown in Genesis 1, 1 to 2, that when God sends the Spirit, the earth is renewed. And I think that's a direct reflection of what was going on. And the connection is that the earth became void and formless, which is the other way to translate uh, that verse, um, which is not standard dogma within the church and Christianity, but there are clearly two different ways you could in, translate that verse. And that because of the fallout of this rebellion, uh, of the angels that the earth was destroyed somehow, some way. And uh, I think that when we look at 
understanding that that is a separate event and everything that happens from day one forward is a result of that angelic rebellion and the revenges that not only the Watchers but Satan will participate in as they continue their rebellion starts to make a lot more sense. Yeah, I fully agree. And um, again, those that missed it, the show that we did last night was uh, deeply profound and it covered a lot of uh, what we're going to be touching upon briefly here, but we'll continue uh, in moving. But we spoke about how um, even in the book of the secrets of Enoch in chapter 29, you have being established there that the rebel angels were cast out on the second day. Um, and even in books like Paradise Lost, you have Milton uh, speaking about in premise uh, the God giving authority to the Son, to Christ, uh, which we also covered from the Gospel of Barnabas, how there's a section which Satan talks about even his being the first created archangel how they were established, Michael and Raphael and others, Gabriel, that they were all created by the Son and the Father, the Holy Trinity, uh, and that they, the pre-existing Godhead is what established, as it says in John chapter 1, even all of the angels and all of the other forces of both light and darkness, and that previous to the rebellion, uh, there was there was still uh, unity and that there was no evil and no duality. But when Lucifer decided to try to exalt himself above the stars and the clouds of God in establishing his throne, then things were, things shifted. And the Most High had to accommodate that rebellion and uh, even what we are dealing with now with the second world age and are incarnated into flesh form, I believe that all has part to play in the duality of what is this ongoing temporal knowledge of good and evil situation that we are uh, contending with and learning from. Uh, but that at some point, things will be restored back to their former state. Yeah, exactly. And we also covered off about Job uh, 34 or 38, 4-7, when all of the uh, angels sang for joy in unity of the yes. creation, which is not what is going on with the creation of days 1 through day 6, and that in a lot of traditions uh, outside the Bible, but certainly the splitting of the, of the waters is seen as a rebellion, um, and because if that rebellion wasn't put down in at that time, then the waters would not remain separated, and the earth would go back into chaos. And what I think that what that's talking about in those in those uh, narratives is that uh, perhaps as what uh, Enoch was referring to, when the angels are cast down out of heaven, they are objecting and rebelling to the renewal of the earth, and I think they're cast down. And I think that's when they start, even though they still have will have authority over the earth. Uh, for this age, uh, as watchers and as Satan as being the prince of this world, um, I think that they are in full objection to what they believe God is going to do because 
with the rebellion, there's going to be consequences. It's been put down. They have not been put into the abyss. There's more things to be played out. They're just not 100% sure what's going to happen. But I believe that they know that with the renewal of the earth, that things are start are going to start to slide not in their favor. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm going to read this passage. It's from the, the Legends of the Jews, and it establishes the premise of how the the Lord God had to accommodate the rebellion and how it kind of shifted um, as far as with regard to this second world age and the renewal uh, that we're talking about of the earth, which in my opinion seems absolutely clear, especially when you look into the Strong's Concordance uh, with regard to the Hebrew terms selected for... Um, uh, alluding and referencing the earth becoming without form and void. It says, the creation of the world, however, could not take place until God had banished the ruler of the dark. Retire, God said to him, for I desire to create the world by means of light. Only after the light had been fashioned, darkness arose, the light ruling in the sky and the darkness on the earth and um again in yesterday evening show we spoke about how in psalms 82 it also describes and connects to a uh, darkness being on the face of the earth and that the foundations of the earth had been confounded and overthrown uh and that we see that being played out also in jeremiah 4 verses 23 through 28 and the same terms that are linked to Tohu Wabohu uh, in, in um, Genesis 1, verse 2, it, the same terms are used in there. And so would you speak about that as well, Gary? Um, just clarify what, what you're looking for me to talk about there. Yeah, the Genesis, um, the connections between Genesis 1, 2, the terms Tohu Wabohu and right. Jeremiah 4. Uh, verses 23 to 28, which, you know, uses the same terms and speaks yep. about a time when there was no man, and yet all the cities uh, of the wilderness were destroyed. Yeah, and it, it just, uh, again, I know some people uh, don't like to connect that one with uh, the renewal of the earth. I'm talking about Jeremiah, but it is certainly an odd sort of wording. And then when you look at um, you know, the word uh, tuhu and boohoo uh, as they are used in the original Hebrew uh, for uh, form, which is tuhu, which means, you know, being desolate and a desert and figuratively a worthless sort of thing. And God doesn't create anything in vain, as it's talked about in, in Isaiah, which is uh, also the same word that's used for the word void. Uh, which is boohoo, which means empty, waste, and un an undistinguishable ruin. And I, I just look at how those words that, you know, come out of the ancient Hebrew, and they just sort of, I don't know, they just sort of jump out at you to say, hey, this is talking about something that wasn't made perfect to be lived in, which Isaiah clearly says that he did not create the earth in vain, and he created it to, to be inhabited. And clearly something has gone on here that has changed. And so I think Jeremiah is just underlining that um, 
as it goes back into an uninhabited place. And I also think, you know, that we need to also throw in Second Peter. And, and I know we didn't talk right. about Second Peter last night. Yes. But again, Second Peter uh, 3, 5 and 3, 6, you know, it is talking about, and, and just before that in 3, 4, where it's talking about, you know, from the beginning of creation, uh, then it moves on into 3, 6. It says, whereby the world that was being overflowed with water perished. Well, right. that's not a flood because the world didn't perish. Like not everything was killed on it. It, it did not become void and formless. And yet this is talking about, uh, you know, the world that was being overflowed with water. And this has got a lot to do with with sort of the ether from, from space. It's, it's uh, you know, the separation uh, of, of the water, the water from above from the water from below. And I think it's it's got a lot to do with, uh, you know, how chaos is prevented from um, uh, keeping the world a, a, a an empty place. So... And the other thing that it goes on in Second Peter, it says, and it says, but you know, but the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word kept in store, reserved into fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. And the next destruction of the earth is by is by fire. So yes. I think this whole thing is just talking about um, something before the flood. Uh, something before the separations of the waters that eventually were came back together and caused the earth to become void and formless. And again, that is the other way you can translate Genesis 1, 1 to 1, 2. Right. And uh, the other really relevant thing with regard to Second Peter is that, he, as you said, he's talking about the complete destruction, uh, which, again, is the, the first here where it says... Um, uh, the the heavens and the earth which are now so he's speaking about the recreation the reformation of the earth which is described in genesis 1 2 ongoing and he also then connects the the destruction of this age by fire to the current world age that we are living in which shows that the first one uh the first world age and how the earth became without form and void, that this particular destruction he's describing where uh, the, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished, that that is the illusion again back to Genesis 1-2 uh, because it yeah. was that overflow of water that destroyed that world age and which necessitated the recreation of it that we see ongoing in Genesis 1, 2 and going forward. Um, yeah. Yes. Um, but, I and I was, I was going to just sort of insert as well is, is that when you look at the word in the beginning, as it leads into, you know, uh, the first chapter of Genesis, it's also in Second uh, Peter where it says from the beginning of creation. So if you look at, you know, the Hebrew... Uh, word for how, what in the in the beginning translates from, uh, you know, it, it's the it's the word rishith if I if I pronounce that properly, meaning in the first place or the first time or the first fruit, right? So in the beginning, in the first time, 
the heavens and the earth were created. And then it moves on into Genesis 1, 1 to 1, 2. And uh, I think when we look at that uh, coming out of Greek in Second Peter, um, it means from the commencement or the origin or the first state or the first magistrate or the first principality and rule of angels and demons. Mm-hmm. Right. And again, this is, the, this is clearly talking about an age when uh, the earth was destroyed and then it was renewed. And is this former age the time of the angelic rebellion? Because it's connecting in its Greek meaning, uh, you know, the first estate, uh, which is talked about in Jude, you know, left there the habitat of the first estate and in the powers and the principalities and the rule of angels and demons. It just is too, too much going on here that's connecting it to say that you have you just stick with standard dogma. This is a serious possible alternative trans translation of Genesis one 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 two, and we add in other verses from the Bible. And I also kind of like to refer to you know some verses that are um, out of Job, which are talking about. And again, some people you know believe that Job is an antediluvian um, scripture. Uh, there's no real proof for that other than the language in Job is very, very strange. And Job is generally considered written, what, about 1000 BC to 1500 BC. But depending on when it was written and how you understand it, when it says things like in Job 8.8, 8, when it says, for inquire, I pray thee of a former age and prepare thyself to search for your, your forefathers. I mean, what are they talking about with a former age or right. Job 33? You know, it says, for want and famine, um, they are solitary, fleeing into the wilderness in former time, desolate and waste. Yes. That's to who and boohoo, right? right? I mean, it's yes. what, what is it? It seems to be referring to um, the first ancestors and before and in the beginning. So it's, uh, I, I think there's a lot of uh, ammunition to say that there's legitimacy. Uh, to translate it different. And then when you look at uh, Genesis 128 in the uh, King James Version, it clearly says, replenish the earth. Right. Now, that's a very odd statement to say um, if the earth hadn't been renewed, because this is in like day six, right? Right. <laughs> so, um, but other translations will just say fill the earth, because again, there's two ways you could you could translate that. So, uh, again, there's just all of these things pointing towards an age before uh, day se- or day one, and in an age where uh, there was business and things being done in the universe by by Satan and uh, many of the angels who, for some reason, decided they were going to rebel against the omnipotent one, but yet we're not totally convicted to go to the lake of fire at that point. It may be a predetermined conclusion, but they're not there. Then there's almost like a trial going on thereafter and it's almost like either a trial being played out or a play being played out with the introduction of the renewal of the earth and the new uh, beings that are being created including the commission of adam and eve and the descendants and Mm -hmm. what happens and how this plays out is either going to make the rebellion possibly plausible for the fallen angels 
or it's going to convict them. And so the right. angels do not want Adam raised above them in the future time, and they're going to do everything they can to make sure that humankind is usurped or destroyed and that it makes a plausible case because of human rebellion that their rebellion was plausible and that they could live in another realm, as we talked about last uh, night, or another universe or another location free from God's oversight. Right. Yeah, and again, that all ties to the uh, Lucifer wanting to exalt himself and being like the Most High. Uh, that was the whole point of their rebellion and their uh, establishing here um, in a mockery, I believe, a counterfeit, uh, these megalithic sites uh, in these pyramidal forms that they were creating what they had seen in the heavens. Uh, in my opinion, yes. that the, you know, the Mount of the Congregation, uh, all of those things are also uh, connected to the megalithic structures, the temples, the pyramids that are found uh, worldwide created by these uh, antediluvian races. And, and those may be structures used in a good way that are in heaven because, and the only reason why I right. mention that, and there's nothing to substantiate it, is that they like to counterfeit everything. Just yeah. like Lucifer wants to be like God, and they want to do everything like God. So when they copulate with the human females, they create a counterfeit spirit. So another uh -huh. counterfeit, right? And they're trying to emulate and counterfeit seemingly everything, just as Antichrist is a counterfeit Christ. Just right. as the false prophet is a counterfeit false prophet just as the new age of Aquarius and the new Atlantis is a false millennial age, also known as the you know third or fourth Reich, depending on um, you want to look at past or future in terms of what they're trying to counterfeit. Everything is going to be like what is in heaven, but slightly different in a counterfeit manner, just as they you know are trying to create a false trinity between uh, Satan, uh, a female goddess and a female and a, and a male son, whether it's Horus or it's the future Antichrist. Right. Everything is a counterfeit. Yes. All right, we'll be right back, everyone. All right, welcome back, everybody. I did want to bring up a passage from Ezekiel chapter 26 that we did not cover uh, last night either, and it's a very interesting um, passage in this particular uh, latter half of the chapter it says um, thus saith the Lord God to Tyrus shall not the isles shake at when the wounded cry when the slaughter is made in the midst of thee then all the princes of the sea shall come down from their thrones and lay away their robes and put off their broidered and garments they shall clothe themselves with trembling. They shall sit upon the ground and shall tremble at every moment and be astonished at thee. And they shall take up a lamentation for thee and say to thee, How art thou destroyed that was inhabited of seafaring men? The renowned city, which was strong in the sea, she and her inhabitants, which terror to be on all that haunt it. Now shall the isles tremble in the day of thy fall. Yea, the isles that are in the sea 
shall be troubled at thy departure. For thus saith the Lord God, when I shall make thee a desolate city, like the cities that are not inhabited, when I shall bring up the deep upon thee, and great waters shall cover thee, when I shall bring thee down with them that descend into the pit with the people of old time, and shall set thee in the low parts of the earth, in places desolate of old, with them that go down to the pit, that thou be not inhabited, and I shall set glory in the land of the living. I will make thee a terror, and thou shalt be no more. Though thou be sought for, yet shalt thou never be found again, saith the Lord God. Considering this particular passage and the story of the destruction of Atlantis, uh, in my opinion, this seems to have, uh, again, those deeper layers of meaning in connection to what we are talking about, Gary. Gary, you there, brother? Gary. Let me check, make sure. Uh, we're not hearing yeah. you. Okay. Great. Yeah, I, I'm back. I'm back now. My mic was kicking in and out. Okay, no worries. All right. Yeah, not sure why, but it was kicking in and out. So uh, I was just mentioning, uh, you know, and last night you mentioned Barosis, and Barosis has some interesting right. things to yes. say as well, um, that uh, he believes that in his writings that, uh, the term, you know, Babylon was just an allegory for the ancient city uh, before the flood that was destroyed, which would be Atlantis. And when I look at that uh, passage out of Isaiah, all I can think of is, is this is talking about, uh, you know, a place where uh, the kings of the earth are known, the renowned ones. It's, it's like this is a place so much like Nippur or Atlantis where the ancient kings and the great ones of old were ruling from and that God is going to rise up the flood and just destroy it. It, it. If I'm sure it has several meanings to it because, you know, not only is it talking about Tyr, but it's also, I think it's talking about Atlantis. And I also think it's talking yes. about a future city of trade as an allegory of the end time Babylon, which is also uh -huh. a city. Right. So I think, yeah. it, I think it's, I think it's going back present and, and future as it mixes in interesting details that can, you know, can, can, in my opinion, can only apply to an antediluvian city. Right. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. And the, you know, the mention uh, of a people of old and a, a city of old. And we know that the Atlanteans, uh, as described in uh, Plato's work, uh, Critias and Timaeus, and talking about them being a seafaring people and how even way back then that they were trying to establish this uh, global domination, this new world order type system that we also see uh, being replicated um, or in attempt during Nimrod's time. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, this, this whole understanding of old 
is uh, an old city is not a term to be taken lightly. Uh, when we look at what uh, the Bible has to say about those types of terms, anytime it says, you know, in ancient times or, you know, days, days of old, this is always referring to uh, the antediluvian epoch. Uh, it is not, you know, just a few generations before. It's typically all antediluvian. So, I, I mean, I love the I love Isaiah and that verse or that chapter because it just speaks to things that uh, I, I sort of embrace in my in my worldview of what right. happened in uh, the ancient. Uh, uh, Atlantis and certainly Plato. I mean, gives a, a, a very, very strong advocation for uh, Atlantis, and uh, and it's considered Atlantis is considered part of Greek history. I mean, there are so many historians that testified to Plato's account, including. Um, um, I'm trying. I think it was Solon who traveled to mm -hmm. Egypt to read the story from the pillars of uh, the Egyptian priests. That I think that uh, history is saying that this old old city um, is is something that happened. And I think there might have been more than one uh, culture that was in the antediluvian epoch that I've spoken to many times. Um, but yeah, I really like what uh, Isaiah has to say and Barossus has to say about Babylon and Tyre and uh, the ancient city that was destroyed by the flood. Mm -hmm. Yeah, me too. Uh, again, and these are some of those connections that when you open yourself to the possibilities of the premise that we are bringing forth here with regard to the, the prior times or what the Egyptians call Zeptepe, and you study uh, the ancient writings, um, the commentary put forth by Barossus and Mantio and uh, others, then this is, you know, they, even the Sumerian kings list, it, it stands for, and as weird as it seems to us, and uh, as much as modern uh, humanity doesn't understand it, it ties in connection to those things that we are asserting here. Um, yep. And then, again, the, the rule of these, um, these seraphic, dragon-like angels, um, you know, the, the feathered serpent worldwide and the reverence of them. Yeah, you know, in Barossus, he uh, had access to the ancient clay tablets from the temple. Right. You know, tablets that were created uh, before the flood. And uh, he was a highly respected individual of his time contemporary with Alexander the Great and uh, celebrated as, you know, an astronomer and a historian and uh, was commissioned to write books by, you know, after the, after Alexander died um, to record history so it wouldn't be lost. Yeah, and he was specifically writing about this antediluvian, this prior times, this first times or the you know, the age where the demigods ruled. Um, and that even in Hesiod, and speaking about works and days, he describes this golden age uh, when these, um, you know, when these uh, demigogic type beings ruled here on the earth and then the 
the different um, later races of of the these demigod peoples and also the heroes of old as we see the men of renown in Genesis 6 I mean all these things come forth in great elaboration when you uh, investigate with open mind these possible possibilities yeah yeah exactly and uh, there are other uh, accounts uh, you know as you get into the Bible particularly uh, the Psalms and Amos about conflagration that's greater than is talked about in the Bible that it's more than just a flood and similar I mean Enoch talks about a a conflagration of cataclysms as, as well. So, you know, even to the point where, you know, mountains are being suspended upon mountains, there's a right, great right. upheaval that's going on, which is why we have a lot of these under underground cities. And, you know, again, you have, let's say in the uh, Veda traditions, you have uh, Dwarka and uh, Malavala Puram, if I pronounce that correctly, as the, uh, as as they believe, as antediluvian cities that sa- that have the same type of destruction that Atlantis has. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, Dwarka. Then we see like places like Yanaguni over there mm-hmm. near uh, Japan. Okinawa, yeah. Japan. Yeah. Yes, uh, and then the these pyramidal complexes that are said to be off the coast of of Cuba, and and you know there are other places that are are discovered and uh, that have been mentioned but that are not being uh, talked about in any great detail um, and also at you know at the bottoms of lakes like Lake Titicaca and even here in America I believe it's a uh, Lake Michigan they describe how there's uh, the megalithic structures and city type complexes at the bottom uh, of that lake and uh, some of the yes. great lakes here. I mean, so, yeah. All around the world, there's underwater ruins right. that are uh, unaccounted for and of an age that are more ancient than it could be possible with the secular chronology. So there's something that's going on that uh, is being missed by not only secular history, but by most um, people as they understand uh, how we came out of uh evolution supposedly like none of this fits into that sort of scenario and only when you dig deep do you start to see a pattern that does start to make sense if you're Mm -hmm. prepared to look at things but always measure things against what the bible says just to make sure that directionally it's it's going in the right direction yeah absolutely um the lately and i had mentioned last night how i was um i'm close to releasing my new book on paradise the sides of the north and the mouth of the congregation and how some of it is tied to the study of you know these ancient mythologies connected to asgard and shambhala Thule, and some of these other ancient places um can you talk about have you looked into research uh any of that uh, anything with regard to the north and its possible connections to uh, Eden. Um, William Warren, his uh, book Paradise, uh, The North Pole as the Cradle of Humanity. Uh, any Done any research on any of that kind of stuff? Nothing uh, extensive. Um, but, I mean, there is this... 
this mythos that is out there, whether or not it is Asgard or uh, Thule, which are, I think are probably pretty similar places as are understood in, in more mm-hmm. of the Norse mythology. Um, but, you know, I mean, you have um, these places that are located sort of all around the world. And my understanding is, is that when you, when you start to piece that together, it's almost like there were many of these uh, underground uh, places or portals into another uh, dimension through the earth. And they're known, you know, uh, by many, many different names like, you know, Argatha is also right. known it comes out of the nagas as you know the underworld and it's the in, inner earth um or the you know part of the hollow earth as it sort of goes into that that sort of um theory and uh you know the buddhists also you know know it as a uh, agar agarte um mm-hmm. and uh the theos theosophists in the late 1800s and early 1900s, you know, linked that to somewhere in t- Tibet, and it was inherited by the Azura and other sorts of demons, which are the bodiless spirits of part of the giants out of the Veda. So you have this sort of Nephilim connection, and then you know the right. Hindus, um, they called it uh, Area Vartha, uh, and that comes out of the Aryan tradition, the same as the Thule does, and it's the land of the noble ones. Um, where the Vedas came from. And Shambhala is, is the other name that they use for it that you already mentioned. And, you know, the Chinese have another uh, place called Xi Tian, H S I T I N. It's a sort of a Western kind of paradise. And the Tuatha Danan um, also had the underworld or the other world that they went to, just as An Win is, is encoded into the. Into the uh, uh, King Arthur uh, uh, mythology, and you know the Russians, they have a place uh, that's called, uh, if I if I can remember right, something like uh, Belodai, and also out of the Kishamaya, uh, they have these people that are the lords of Zibalba, um, who are owl-faced type of individuals, similar because there's two versions of the snakes in that sort of bird face or owl face or raven face. Uh, feathered serpents they lived in a place you know for ghosts and demons in the underworld of the earth and all of these stories just seem to have um this connection to whether or not it's an eden or it's it's another world or it's it's these ancient locations under the earth you know just as you know, gilgamesh visited uh in the Epic of Gilgamesh, in the bowels of the earth, whatever the heck mm-hmm. that means. And I think it means, you know, somewhere un- under the earth. Um, but being located in the North Pole is not generally where I get a sense. So most people point towards Antarctica when they're looking at that. And and some of the theories that go sort of go along with that is, is that that could also be, you know, Atlantis. And during the last flood a cataclysm, the crust shifted and slid Antarctica or Atlantis down south. I mean, again, I don't know how true that will be. And the other thing is, is when we read the book of Enoch, it is talking about portals over and over and over and over that go into these places mm-hmm. uh, and into the earth. And in and one place is even called 
Middle Earth in <laughs> in Enoch, which I find found very very interesting. And he also calls uh, some of these places in the Earth called you know hollow places. So I think they're all talking about uh, to bring it to a point uh, a similar notion. Um, it is. And and I, but I do believe there's more than one location because Enoch clearly talks about several locations in the Earth. Uh huh. Right. Yeah, and even uh, go ahead. Well, I was just wondering was I was I sort of hitting on the areas that you were referring to, or did I take oh, that yeah. in a different no, direction? No, no. Yeah, you, okay. you um, you you said you hadn't studied it very much, but you brought up a very elaborate answer, and so yeah, uh, that was um, yeah, that was a really good answer, and uh, you know, again, uh, what makes your work so unique is your ability to bring forth and draw from so many diverse cultures and mythologies and unifying all that content in, in together um, because I do believe there are these underlying connections uh, the truth that underlies all of them and that they're all you know speaking about um, even if it's not even the exact same place but different degrees of all of these kind of mythological places and sites as they were celebrated by all these cultures yeah, and, and if indeed there was as many as seven to nine major civilizations in the antediluvian epoch, uh, and and they had all access, that there would be these types of places all over the world. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, absolutely, and and we see that too again with the megalithic sites that we are discovering and that we find all over the world, and that uh, even to a lot of these cities that are built near the very uh, upper, the, you know, parts of the mountains. And uh, I think that those were established, you know, in showing um, a lot of them were established at the tops of mountains uh, because that was after the flood, some of that was all that was showing with regard to the waters then receding uh, and that we see at the bottoms of these oceans and lakes, those cities and sites, though they were created previous to uh, the water levels changing, and you know are very much older in my opinion. Sure. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. All right. Well, um, if you would, uh, can you before we get to the next break, kind of just talk about um, what you see as happening? when you know the rebel angels for whatever reason they were cast out then um being established here their interdiction into what was the the pre-adamic humans and uh because uh, it seems also that all of these cultures because we see the same kind of pyramidal structures being built uh, in different ways uh that they are all connected to one uh, and that, you know, in some way, the even James Churchward, he talks about the Mu uh, as being the mother culture. Uh, can you kind of speak about all that before we go to break? Sure. And uh, so that people understand there's when we talk about several different civilizations, uh, Mu is certainly one of them and thought to be located in the Pacific Ocean. And then there was another civilization that was brought up that was before these other seven to nine civilizations called Lemuria that 
in the occult is thought to believe to have seeded these other civilizations. But certainly you have, uh, you know, Sumeria and you have Atlantis and you have Mu. And Mu is the, uh, as some of the main names of these ancient civilizations, but, and Mu is the one that seems to have had an influence on uh, the Central American and the Vedas uh, and the Indian culture, both before and after the flood. And there's connections back between the two as well. So um, this is, uh, this is an, a concept that is uh, larger than what we get in the Bible, where we're kind of looking at one civilization um, as it's being talked about, as it's related to the descendants of Cain and the descendants of, of, of Seth by Adam, uh, and seemingly is the Sumerian civilization. But that doesn't mean there weren't necessarily other civilizations. Now, as it comes out of, uh, but it does have some answers for context as you look at some of this for answering some of the, the mysteries of Genesis. So what happens with these people created in day six is that they are hunters and gatherers and they're clearly described as that in uh, Genesis 1 and you know they're told to uh, multiply and, and fill the earth and the gods come along the watchers and say in return for a steady diet of food that we're going to provide you and that you can be domesticated, you are going to worship us and you are going to serve us and we will teach you knowledge and writing and you are going to build these megaliths and uh, you set up these same types of pantheons around the world. The gods are all the same in the different pantheons, almost identical, just with different vernacular names. And then you have the similarities of the of the giants that are in all of these cultures. You have the pyramids that are in all of these cultures. You have the mystical religion that is in all of these cultures. You have the flood that comes along afterwards because these demigod giants that are produced by the offspring of the gods who uh, are ruling over them and the uh, human females that they choose create these demigods. And all of a sudden you get all of these coincidences all around the world that you can't account for unless they're telling the same story, but maybe not quite the same Genesis story, but from a parallel civilization story, but yet the consequences and the outcome and the events are all the same. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, another thing that I think is very interesting uh, and that science does not uh, give a lot of credence to is that there were connections and that there was trading going on, that there was relationships Establish yes. amongst these peoples worldwide. You know, even with the fact that um, some of the uh, the mummies they have discovered, you know, drugs from in South America uh, in some of the bodies of these mummies there in Egypt. Um, you know, tobacco products and different things like that, which show that something was going on as far as their interaction with one another. Uh, and, and yeah. you know, and we don't give Clear. any kind of credence to that. Yeah, clearly their technology was more advanced. They communicated more. And, and they would because they not only did they have the seven sacred sciences that were being developed, they had the watchers providing all of the secrets of heaven, all of the illicit knowledge to develop right. these civilizations very, very quickly. And they did communicate and then they did trade. And in fact, 
according to Plato in Critias and Timaeus, is that the Atlantean Empire, which had 10 nations in its empire, was trying to take over the, the other civilizations around the world. Um, they were stopped eventually by the Athenians, according to uh, Plato. Um, but they were in contact and they knew of each other and they had the ability to get around the world. Right. Yeah. All right. We'll be right back, everybody, for second hour. All right. Welcome back, everybody, for second hour. I'm your host, Zen Garcia. This is Secrets Revealed here on Truth Frequency Radio. I have a special guest with me this evening, Gary Wayne, author of Genesis 6 Conspiracy. Uh, Gary, I wanted to ask you about um, Operation Cabaret. Um, the British SAS forces after, well, before uh, the end of World War II, they went down to Antarctica and they were chasing the Nazis and they describe in, um, in, in some of the information that has since come forth released by some of those that were participants within this special operation that they discovered the Nazis were building a structure, a base called New Schwabenland down there in Antarctica. But what the interesting aspect of it was is that they were building into an already existent ancient structure. Um, Can you comment on that? And also, can you talk about if you have done any research uh, with regard to what's going on in it? Yeah, so, I mean, what we do know is exactly what you stated about what the Nazis were doing down there. And they were building bases, and it is believed that there was some sort of structure that was already there. And some people are speculating that there were pyramids. And the activity that's been going on in Antarctica, the amount of traveling back and forth at a sort of fever pitch right now, how they've sort of blocked Antarctica off from the world since the late 40s because of this, uh, all leads to uh, all sorts of speculation. The problem gets to be is is that there are so many different variations uh, as to what's going on down there that there are, uh, it, you know, it's... Uh, uh, located to an entrance to the inner earth that's talked about in Enoch and in so many other places that we talk to, or portal into other dimensions, as into like in, in the abyss, and again what is talked about in Enoch, that there are Nephilim in stasis there, that it's an alien base, uh, that's where the Anunnaki have come back, uh, that's where the great aliens are, are located. There's just it's just rampant with all of these different interesting theories, but nobody has anything that has any real meat on it other than the activity and the high level of people that are going back and forth now is getting to a point where you almost think that they're ready to announce something to the world. Mm-hmm. And if my sense is right, whatever they're going to bring out, and it could be all of the above, right? I mean, all of that's possible. Right. Uh, but I think whatever it's going to be is is it's going to change everybody's preconceived ideas. And it will allow them to turn the world in a direction and very quickly 
in a way that was not able to be done before the revelation that they're going to come out with. And I know even up a month or so ago, people are saying, well, it's close, it's going to come out, it's going to come out, but it, the information hasn't come out. But I do believe it has to do with uh, uh, the ancient civilizations, and I do believe it has to do with uh, uh, aliens, at least as part of the of the inter intermix, whether or not you believe in aliens or not. I think it's going to be one of those things that has to be that large to change people's pre preconceived ideas. Mm -hmm. uh, any comment on the Ark of Gabriel? Uh, the uh, leader of the um, Russian Orthodox Church supposedly going down there and even individuals like John Kerry. Um, there was also previous to this, I, I guess about a year or so ago, a release of articles by a Preston, um, uh, Preston James, I believe he is. He writes for yep. veterans. Um, and he was talking about the sudden appearance of Marduk uh, which we know to be, you know, one of these Nephilim deities, yep. um, and that they were talking about all of these presidents, even Obama, going yes. to meet him. Uh, can you talk about all that? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, what you're doing is this underscoring what I was talking about is this, this fever pitch of high-level people going down to visit it. And Marduk in the... Uh, alien mythos is part of the Anunnaki. So depending on whether or not you want to look at the Anunnaki as gods and or demigods, because there's two different levels of them, um, or as aliens, is that they've, uh, they have been meeting with this Marduk and a few other names that are, that are thrown out. And again, that all comes out of, out of uh, ancient history. So, uh, but again, um, we're not getting information that we can really unless you're getting better information than i am that we can really say for sure exactly what's going on and we don't know what the delay is uh because you know all the supposed credible sources were saying we should have heard what the revelation is by now mm -hmm. yeah and the the other thing um that seems to be being released is the discovery of pyramidal structures uh, not only uh, I, Linda Moulton Howe was talking about one being discovered in Alaska, but then also there are scientists that are specifying uh, and talking about multiple pyramids being discovered in the, uh, the Antarctic region. And so, uh, again, that all, uh, you know, it, it, considering uh, that they had to have been built before the ice you know, covered all them uh, shows yeah. that they are very ancient indeed. Well, and the the rapid discovery of these pyramids is is not just because uh, the archaeologists are doing a magnificent job, and I'm not saying that they aren't, but I think it's coming from inside information to locate and find these pyramids because I think they're going to be utilized again, whether or not it is in the universal religion, it's in some sort of technology, some sort of magnetic stream, whatever you want to uh, speculate on it. They're just being, they're turning up whether or not they're in Russia, Romania, China, Alaska, uh, under oceans. I mean, everywhere they're discovering these pyramids and it's just in rapid fires. So mm -hmm. that just doesn't happen. I think that's by design. And it's just, again, just right. slowly being laid out at this point in time to continue to prepare people for what they're going to reveal. Right, right.
Yeah, and then again, the, all this ties into, uh, with regard to the strong delusion, uh, the, the whole premise that the ancient aliens are our creators and that they're returning to save us from ourselves. Um, you know, the whole, as we were talking about with the counterfeit Messiah, uh, the counterfeit, you know, return of Christ, how they, you know, the return of the ancient aliens, that all that would kind of, um, you know, it would all counterfeit that, the Blue Beam Project, all that kind of stuff uh, that they are trying to trump and to bring forth in their own way what the Bible speaks about as the return of the real Savior Messiah. Yeah, and so if you can connect all of that in that they're coming back, whether it's from the 13th planet or whenever or however uh, you want to uh, make that, that sort of platform, is it makes it easy to transition these fallen angels for the end time that are going to be part of the earth um, why they're there and to deceive people as to why they're there, right? And mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, I mean, they're going to ask the people of this world to fight for their freedom against the God of the Bible. But right. they're not going to classify God in the same way we do. They're going right. to turn him into this evil, this evil God and this dictator of the universe. Uh, but in their dualistic religion, it's good versus evil. And this is, this is just ongoing. It's always at play, right? And you're always fighting for your freedom. And they're going to classify themselves as the children of light, the sons of light, just as Satan masquerades as a angel of light, right. and just as the Freemasons are children and the sons of light. I mean, light is their, one of their key allegories, which also is an allegory for knowledge because they're all a cult of knowledge as well. But it's part of that whole justification and making it plausible so that you could deceive the elect if that were possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And um, and for a lot of people, it is seemingly possible because look at how many uh, very well-researched individuals are accepting the premise uh, that the ancient aliens are our creators. I mean, it yeah. is now accepted all over, you know, that whole the ancient yep. alien. Yeah, the ancient aliens program, all these uh, people that they are parading on that show, which so many people look up to for guidance and instruction yeah. on how to understand these things. I mean, golly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and of course, the question that they never answer and nobody tends to ask is the, if, if that is how Earth was seated, well, who created the aliens? Right, right, exactly, yes. You know, but nobody ever wants to go that far in the question but uh -huh. i mean i do like their research i mean they have great right, research yeah. uh, they just have a very very agenda orientated belief system that yes. was created by freemasons right, right so right. um so it's there to manipulate people into accepting the the lie that is coming and they're good they're going to tell us that we are just one of many galactic species in the universe mm -hmm. uh, some are good and some are evil and if we want our seat at the galactic table, uh, then we're going to have to fight with the other rebels. Right. And uh, Lucifer is known by the occult cultists and the secret societies as as the great rebel, you know, the great free thinker, the mm -hmm. one who liberates humankind. All of these allegories of what they're preparing for us for is right out of 
polytheism. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, any idea on, and I'm not positive I asked you about this, but that Childhood's End, that whole series that came out where it talks about the return of these aliens as overseers. And, uh, and also just recently I watched a, a really weird movie called The Arrival, and it was talking about how these aliens return in order to help humanity because yes. we would later help them um they're coming here yeah that's it was an interesting twist and all of it though no matter how they do the twist is is to help humankind evolve into gods that right, is right. what they're going to do to, to the next level of, of, of evolution and, right, and uh, so technology. yeah uh, and bringing technology in, in support of that and uh, you know as overseers as watchers that's what watchers means you know i like to call yes what they did in the antediluvian epoch as you know i call them the celestial mafia right and you know and again they brought that world to this great level of technology that you know uh everybody has been brainwashed to think that these were primitive people they weren't primitive i mean they built these pyramids they they developed the sciences history out of all cultures testifies to great civilizations of great technology and uh, I think that's why, you know, our Messiah has uh, told us that, uh, you know, as part of the signs of uh, the end times and the things to be watching out, you have the days of Noah uh, being inserted. And I think that's all of the days of Noah that, you know, included the uh, the generation of Jared. And because uh, Noah was uh, part of that generation when um, in, in the days of Jared where as Enoch talks about that the giants were created and the demigods were created from the offspring of angels. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, and then the, again, the whole miscegenation, how everything became corrupted. And then the other thing that we're really not even talking about is um, the abomination that they instituted with the, uh, the establishment of these pagan religions. You know, the blood and victim sacrifice and the cutting the still beating hearts out of people and uh, all that yeah. so who knows what kind of you know the the what will be established by these ancient aliens uh in demanding compliance to this one world religion and this uh newly you know this beast system that is coming into place yeah exactly. yeah so very very interesting times um um, and so, what what do you see on the horizon? I mean, uh, with regard to where we are, um, and what are the kind of the main things that you're you know kind of looking out for? Well, I'm I'm looking for 2017 to be one of those watershed uh, years. Uh, I you know I don't believe we're in the end time yet i know there's a lot of speculation on september 23rd and right. the astrological sign of supposed uh, revelation 12 i i don't buy into that uh, i know there's a lot of speculation on that just as there was on the red uh, on the red moons uh, a year or so ago um i'm a firm believer in that the uh, uh, all of the events have to be aligned up because we can't be in the end time unless everything is in place and not everything is in place yet. So, mm -hmm. you know, the sign of revelation 12 happens at the midpoint of the tribulation. So 
but I do think it could be part of that watershed event where things are, are going to start moving the world very quickly into that direction of universal religion and world government. And I'm expecting things this year that will uh, really put a catalyst behind that, so to speak. So I'm looking for extraordinary events. And maybe this sign in the sky will be part of those astrological type of signs that are going to be used to scare people, to cattle herd people into uh, world government and the world religion. I, I think there's... Uh, there's uh, that possibility that we're going to get that announcement out of Antarctica. I think there's a possibility uh, that we're, you know our financial markets could take a, a huge uh, hit again this year. Right. Um, and I also know that uh, when we look at uh, some other things coming together, like the uh, settlement of Israel or you know, the nation of Israel and Jerusalem, mm -hmm. and if it's 70 years, are we in that window between 2017 and 2037 where the end times starts to begin? Or as the, uh, the Jewish people and the Israelites used to call the Messianic era, which is you know, a period of time when that starts to come in. And just as you've got you know, the prophecies of Jubilees, which puts 2017 as the start of the Messianic era that comes out of uh, Jewish Kabbalism or Jewish belief system anyways, um, for the prophecy of Jubilees. Uh, there's a lot of speculation uh, that was put out a couple of years ago that it was 2017 where the U.S. dollar would uh, have a whole bunch of issues. And certainly the Russians were promoting that. I was reading it in their newspapers when I was over there. And um, so there just seems to be a lot of things that I think I'm expecting to happen as we move into the latter part of this year. Not to push us into the end time, but to start... Um, speeding up the process of putting the pieces in of the puzzle into place dropping the dominoes yeah, uh, yeah. and and then yeah uh, as far as with the return of christ because i know a lot of people are speculating and there's a lot of people that are talking about that this is when the rapture is going to happen but again we know that the antichrist is revealed first and that the false you know the false messiah, the beast system, all of that, the 10 regional United Nations, all of that, all that is has to be brought up and come into place uh, prior to the return of Christ. And so unless things, you know, start popping over the next few months, uh, it's got to be something, uh, something other than the, well, you know, rapture of the church or the, catching away that so many people are looking for because uh, again the antichrist is revealed first all that comes into play um the his reign and even the the two witnesses you know the uh, which i believe yeah. will be enoch and elijah that they are to come and also to convict the antichrist and be killed in the street uh of jerusalem and so yeah there's a there's a lot that there's a lot of things that have to happen to be yeah. in the end times. And uh, I would also throw in a third one. I think all three are going to come. Um, and I think Elijah is going to be uh, very much a part of the uh, second exodus with Jesus as well. But I also like the idea, you know, uh, a third individual, uh, which may be 
uh, mixed in with with the two witnesses, uh, and maybe one, Enoch or Elijah has it has a different role, and that is the uh, disciple that Jesus loved that John talked about, because at the end of the book of John, I mean, it's just absolutely uh, um, wonderful what uh, what he's talking about about the disciple that Jesus loved, and uh, and we don't we're not given. Uh, a name of this individual, um, but uh, it is very, very uh, mysterious about what is said about them. And I don't know whether people are familiar with that or not, but I'll just sort of throw it out that um, uh, Jesus had, uh, had, had talked about this, this individual uh, in a manner of that um, Something to the effect, I'm just going to try and paraphrase it, is, is that, you know, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? Oh, uh, right, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, I remember so, that, right. Yeah, because uh, I think, as, 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 as I recall, they were talking about um, um, him not dying or something to that effect, right? Um, mm -hmm. so it's just, uh, <laughs> very, very important. And, and in fact, he even said, you know, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. I just looked mm -hmm. it up. Um, so I think there's a good, and it would be appropriate if you look at, um, you could, you could make an argument for all three, because it would be so appropriate to have somebody who was an eyewitness to Jesus preaching to the world as one of the two witnesses about the, the new covenant. It would be so appropriate to have Elijah preaching about the old covenant and that right, right. Israel is not obsolete. And it would be so appropriate to have Enoch speaking to the first apocalypse. Right. 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 Um, and these are the only three that are the possibilities. And I know the most the consensus is Elijah and uh, Enoch, but I just like to throw in what, uh, Jesus was saying about, and I think his name is, you know, is Nathanael, but um, just my, if, just my sort of deducing going through the scriptures as to who I think it is, because that's the uh, di disciple uh, that, you know, knew Jesus before, or he knew him before he even saw Jesus, so. Mm -hmm. You know, it, what you just brought up, it reminds me of a story at the very end of um, the book of Enoch uh, about the prophet Nur and how he was uh, raising up this uh, Melchizedek individual and that um, it speaks about this child uh, that he was taken up into the heavens and protected I believe by the Archangel Michael and um, you know it's interesting that this story is all mentioned but then there's no other talk about it and uh, or you know, any other reference that I've seen in the extra biblical materials to this particular yeah. individual. And so, yeah, that's yes. a, kind of a mystery as well. Yeah, and, and I love the book of Enoch because it has so much detail in it. Um, right. But it's not free of issues and corruptions and, uh, um, but for the most part, directionally in what it says about uh you know the Son of Man and and Jesus is is absolutely spectacular, but it does mm -hmm. does have a few issues in there that um, drive me up the wall. You know, like you know Enoch uh, being said his age is you know 500 years old, and in another one 550 when we know Enoch, son of you know Jared, was taken to heaven at age 365. Right. So, right. But it's typical for 
the secret societies to corrupt some of these uh, apocryphal books with some of their markers. And it could be just some of their markers that are in there. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, we also, we have to remember that uh, this guy, Bruce, James Bruce, that yeah. he was, yeah, he was uh, a Freemason himself, right? Um, yes, and a descendant of Robert the Bruce. Right, right, yeah. Right, and an Austic. So right. he, did the, uh, he did the original translations, and uh, so there, there could easily be some, some markers in there, because there's a few things that are just, you know, a little bit odd. You know, in one part, you know, of Enoch, it talks about uh, the angels building the ark for... Uh, Noah. Well, that happens in a lot of Gnostic versions, but it doesn't happen in biblical versions. So mm -hmm. uh, I, I just think uh, it's been tampered with for the most part because there's not a lot that's wrong. I mean, I put out a post a while ago and put out some of the items that are in there just to be careful of. Um, but overall, I mean, I, I really like the Book of Enoch. Of, of all of the apocryphal books, that's the one I like the Oh, me too. I love the Book of Enoch, and uh, yeah. I, you know, I, I read it uh, almost daily. Uh, yeah. Study and and read it. I, uh, my, one of my most favorite books, and and when I get up, the first thing that I try to do is to study um, the pseudepigrapha or other extra biblical materials, and I spend my first two three hours just reading all this material before I come inside and begin to work on my books or other material as far as my computer but I, I like to be with the creation and be with uh, yep. God's word and to, to study it and uh, yeah that's one of my most, most favorites uh, can you talk about some of uh, uh, some of your most favorite extra biblical books well I guess we'll we'll pick it up when we come back from break um, we're about 10 seconds out but yeah think about that Gary and we'll we'll talk about some of that when we return um, sure all right we'll be right back everybody and uh, we'll, we'll finish up the fun all right welcome back everybody for final segment um, yeah so I want to know Gary um, some of the the things that you like to study and some of the the texts you've been researching researching that you find uh, comfort in or that you find uh, very interesting? Yeah, I certainly like, uh, as I mentioned, uh, you know, the book of Enoch. Um, you know, um, uh, I find interesting whether or not it's the book of Yasher, but it's got some issues and the book of Jubilees has some issues. I mean, a lot of these books have some issues, even though I find them very, very interesting reading. Uh, but when I get down to the ones that I really like best that are sort of outside what a Protestant would consider the standard canon is I like Second Ezra um, and there's several a few books of Second Ezra it just has some wonderful prophetic things and some uh, other insights that other books don't have I also like Sirach in there I also like um, the book of wisdom Remarkable book in there. Uh, I also like, uh, which isn't scriptural. I like to read uh, the, you know, Lewis Ginsburg's works on the, uh, on the legends of, uh, of, 
uh, of the Jews and of Israel. It's got some mm-hmm. interesting things in there based on what they, they bring down. And again, I know there's some Kabbalism and some other right. things in there, and it's not all truthful. Um, and then, but the source I really like to utilize to see what he has to say based on what the Bible says or some of the other text might have is I really like uh, Josephus and he just brings out so many details whether or not it's about the fall of Jerusalem or where the um, location to uh, the, the temple was or to the Essenes or to um, uh, prehistory and uh, the other historians that he will reference he'll talk about things that we like to talk about out of prehistory on the giants and things mm-hmm. like that uh, so those are you know to run without running too too big of a list those are kind of the ones that are always up there for me oh yeah those are many of my favorites as well um and i like to uh research and study philo as well and um yep. you know i look at some of the he's, the a, he's fathers, a little wordy so. though he's yeah, a, very, yeah very much <laughs> so right uh yeah. yeah so you have to if you're going to read you have to read with patience there's good stuff in right. it but it, it doesn't get there very quickly right yeah you have to you know find those nuggets um, but, but yeah, I do. I yeah. like to read the, the ancient commentaries yeah. and, uh, I even, you know, I uh, like, go ahead. I also like a lot that's in the Dead Sea Scrolls, but I find it very, um, contradictory of each other. And so, and there's a whole mix of different things that are in there. So I put a lot less weight on, on the Dead Sea Scrolls. Yeah. And the thing with the, the Dead Sea Scrolls is that they only gave us all those portions which are fragmented you know yes and that's annoying um yes and, and yes, they I... kept all the good stuff for themselves like the full <laughs> aramaic text of the book of yes. enoch and you know yes. things like that and so yeah that, and, that's and, and it makes and it makes you wonder why yeah uh, of course they're you know they're keeping and hiding uh the truth from us but yep. wouldn't it just be amazing to have an Aramaic version of the Book of Enoch. I mean, wow. Yes. Yeah. 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 How fantastic it would be to study and to read that. And uh, from what I understand, there were two full extent versions found. It wasn't just one. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, again, they give us all the segmented and fragmented and broken up pieces and, uh, and keep all the good stuff for themselves. Who knows what else was even found? Uh, I did hear just recently a story of um, a whole another cave that uh, was full of ancient manuscripts and texts, and yet it was emptied out by somebody, and um, they don't even know what was contained therein. Yeah, heard I heard that, that as well. That's, yeah. I've heard about that. I was uh, when I first heard there was another discovery. I was kind of excited as to what they might have discovered. So. Right. But again, we're not sure whether or not that's a cover story, so they don't have to be releasing anything to us. Yes, exactly right. Um, also, also, did you hear about those uh, the seventy metal books that were found in Jordan? Um, no. Uh, yeah, there's a. It's an interesting. I'll, I'll share that story with you sometime. But um, there were seventy small metal books, and they were they are alluding to. Christ uh, as being Savior and Messiah, and so they date back to you know the, the that particular time. Um, but 
they are very old and very ancient and um, they're not full texts that were extant like as far as scrolls but they were they were metal books and they uh, contain yeah. information and of course you know this was three four years ago that um, they were discovered and you know there's been no mention or anything written about them of what they were about it's amazing how that stuff just sort of disappears behind vaults and closed doors or only for the privileged yeah fully like uh can you imagine uh wandering through the vatican vaults and all that that they've got down there like yeah they so much they say my my understanding is is the uh vatican vaults uh is only rivaled by maybe freemasonry's vaults <laughs> Uh, right. <laughs> it is it is quite extensive it, is, it must be uh must be quite a uh almost like a indiana jones uh, competition to uh always be collecting these things over time mm -hmm. yeah exactly um well I, I bet it's you know like a whole library of alexandria but um i, I did well, find yeah, and wouldn't, and wouldn't it be nice to see wouldn't it be nice to see the rest of that's in the uh, Manita Manichaean Book of Giants, or as oh, people yeah. might uh, understand yeah, it as the Book of Og, right? Right. It's missing uh, quite a few chapters. I mean, that mm -hmm. was, whether well, again, I don't know how accurate it is, but boy, is it ever an interesting read. Yeah, and uh, if for those that don't know what we're talking about, there is a, a Manichaean uh, called the Ogdius, um, you know, the Book of the Giant Ogdius, uh, and we did actually release it because um, we published the book through Sacred Word Publishing called The Collected Works of Enoch. And we include not only the Richard Lawrence translation and the R.H. Charles translation yep. of the Book of Enoch and the Book of the Secrets of Enoch, but also um, the Chapter 100 of the Kebra Nagas, the, uh, the other... Yep. Just speaking about Semyazin, Azazel, the Book of the Giants, uh, the Book of Ogdius the Giant. I mean, all that material all together. And uh, looking at all that, it gives you, you know, a, 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 like even if we had a non-fragmented Book of the Giants to where we could understand the dreams, uh, the visions of the giants and how, you know, they knew destruction was coming upon them. But uh yeah. Yeah, all that would be fascinating to have a full thing yeah. up. Yeah, with Mawe. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But uh, I was just um, I had looked up the article that I was uh, had mentioned to you. You can look it up by seventy metal books found in Jordan, and um, I'll post a link and I'll send it to you. Also, the name of this article says, "Could this be the biggest find?" Since the Dead Sea Scrolls, 70 metal books found in a cave in Jordan could change our view of biblical history. And yeah. this, again, was um, back in 2011, dated March 30th, 2011. And, of course, we haven't heard anything further about all this and what they translated from it and what contents, what kind of stories were, you know, all contained within the Yep. And at least we did hear uh, the mention of their discovery. Just again, it's one of those things they keep all that kind of information from us. 
They tend to. They tend to. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. Uh, I wanted to ask you one other thing, too, with the regard. We were talking earlier about Second uh, Peter, where it talks about how the second world age would be destroyed by fire. And, you know, it, it says, um, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heaven shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also in the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought to be in a holy conversation and godliness? Uh, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Uh, now, what I wanted to ask you with regard to the new heaven and the new earth, because it says in Revelation, talking about the descent of New Jerusalem, uh, that the, there will be this new heaven and the new earth. And so I wanted to ask you what you thought the timing of that was and whether you thought uh, it preceded the millennial age uh, or if this event takes place at the end. Uh, oh, where the great white. Yeah, I'm more. I'm one of those ones who view things in a linear perspective, and mm -hmm. particularly the Book of Revelation. So, uh, I will place the uh, the New Jerusalem and the New Heaven, uh, and there won't be a temple at that time because God and and, and the Word right. will go with us. Um, at the end of the thousand years, because uh, again, from a linear perspective, once we get you know past Revelation 19, we move basically into the millennial reign, and then I think it's in Revelation 21 where we get the new heaven and the new earth, and and uh, there's no temple. Uh, so mm -hmm. my, my even though. It, uh, it, there's the language of of uh, the earth being um, you know burned up. I don't think it's totally destroyed uh, in the end time because people are going to be reigning with Christ on earth for right. a thousand years. So right. there's going to be enough. Uh, and even if it was being almost totally burned out or bombed through nuclear weapons, I mean God has the power to make that go away anyway. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's definitely going to be restored. And yeah, I agree with you that it will be here on the earth uh, that, you know, we we reign with Christ for the millennial reign, uh, God willing. And, you know, so considering hopefully that we're all found worthy. Uh, but it is interesting to me that um, that the language of the new heaven and the new earth is uh, precedes the supposedly the descent of New Jerusalem, which I thought, um, you know, stunning New Jerusalem, that it is New Jerusalem that we dwell within for the millennial reign. And so, you know, is it saying that this occurs previous? And so I guess, you know, all three, but uh, I just wanted to, you know, ask you. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, so I, I, like I said, I'm more traditionalist on it, and I, I'm very respectful of all the different views of Revelation, and there's so many different views in terms of, you know, uh, does it move back and forth, are all of the, you know, the seals and the, and the trumpets and the bowls actually one event, um, and... 
but I just find that it's easier to understand if you just let the story be told. But that's my way of approaching it, and it mm -hmm. seems to line up the other prophecies quite well doing that. So, mm -hmm. but I do recognize that you know you could look at those individual things and certainly line it up in in, in a different manner than than how the straight linear progression of revelations would would suggest. Mm -hmm. Have you um, have you ever read the Sibylline Oracles? No, I have not. Uh, well, these are fascinating texts, but specifically in the um, the second book, it, at the the latter half of that particular text, I think there's like seven of them. Um, they it describes the end of days, and the the oracle gives a mention as to the kind of like the timeline of Revelation as well. But it's interesting, in that particular chapter, it talks about um, where the stars are cast down to the earth. It, it talks about that the these stars being cast down, that that's what starts the process of destroying the earth by fire in preparation for its recreation, um, right. which, you know, I had never heard of that. Um, but, you know, again, all that, it, it makes sense um, and that the stars being these heavenly luminaries um, being mm -hmm. cast out to the earth could, you know, trigger and start that whole process. But um, but I, I do want to give you a chance again, Gary, to give out your website contact information where people can go to find and study your blog and your work. And, um, and then we'll, you know prepare for final commentary sure um best way to get a hold of me is through my uh, website uh, genesis6conspiracy.com genesis6 the number 6.com i have an email uh on there to uh, get a hold of me and ask me a question or make a comment uh, if you do have a question i will definitely get back to you no matter which avenue that you're going to get a hold of me on um, you can also uh, check out uh, the 98 chapters on my book i have a generous excerpt on that i have some interviews up there as well and i have links to my social media uh, sites from there and also you can link into buying a signed copy if you're interested in buying my book or if you wanted to shop it at Amazon or Barnes and Noble. There's links for that, and there's also uh, a link to the digital version on Kindle. And you can also follow me or get a hold of me through Facebook under Gary Wayne and Two Genesis Six Conspiracy Pages and a group uh, that I participate in called the Gary Wayne uh, Genesis Six Conspiracy Group. And again, uh, you can also follow me or get a hold of me through Twitter at Gary Wayne Six Three at Gary Wayne Six Three. And you know whether or not we're talking about the uh, Genesis 1, 1 to 1, 2, or the day six versus Eden account, or what I was talking about on uh, the book of Enoch or the book of Yasher, or if you want to know some of the issues that might be in the book of Jubilees on some of the Apocrypha, get a hold of me. I generally have um, uh, attachments for that that I can send you. All I'll need is your email address, and I can send you information on that. Awesome. Uh, how goes the work on the new book? Not so good. I'm uh, oh, no. <laughs> up at my, not so good. No, I, I, I came. I was hoping through the summer months at my cottage where I'm at right now that I'd get some quality time to work on it, and I've not spent any time on it since I'm up here. So <laughs> I need where, to get back at cottage? it. So. In northern Saskatchewan. Awesome. Sounds wonderful. Yeah, so.
It is. Yeah. I'm uh, overseeing the lake as I'm speaking to you. So oh, how beautiful. Yeah, and it, when you're, you know, encompassed by such beauty, it's difficult to want to be inside and writing and working, you know, especially when, uh, you know, the summer, uh, I love being outside during the summer and the yes. spring. And, and so, yeah, I can understand um, you know, not getting things. I, I tend to get a lot done during the winter when, you know, we're kind of forced to be inside. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so you know, don't 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 beat yourself up over it. Most certainly, enjoy, especially if all the insanity that everybody uh, predicts is coming or is on the horizon. Uh, yeah. We've got to most certainly enjoy these days, and uh, we do because uh, when it does come, you, you don't want to be here. But if it does come when we are are here, it will be horrific. And right. for me, it's. It's why we need to understand what happened in prehistory because yeah. of the days of Noah as a warning, because nothing new is under the sun. And that I think there's so much language in the New Testament as well as the Old Testament to suggest that what happened in the past is going to replay in the end time. It's the same rebellion, whether it's Babel or the rebellion of the giants in the antediluvian epoch or so many other attempts to do the same type of rebellion as what Hitler was trying to do. And if we don't understand the language and what happened in prehistory, we're going to be deceived. And right. uh, uh, it's just, we just have to understand. And, you know, I put out a post uh, this week on the, you know, the wording about the great men in uh, Revelations. And it was linking that back to, that's probably talking about, you know the mighty men of of old, like and I, I and it's that type of thing that we need to understand because uh, these bloodlines and this this presence of the fallen angels has not gone away. And, no. Uh, and even if you think it has, there's going to be more come because they're going to uh, be unleashed from the abyss very early right. on into the end time, and so things are going to happen so quickly and you're going to be so inundated with brainwashing and utterly startling uh, information and catastrophes and false prophets and miracles and if you're not very firmly grounded in the bible and what it's telling us um, then you're going to be you're you're going to be doubting and you're, you you could be deceived. Yes. Um, I would would hope that even if that happens, that by the time the mark of the beast comes along, that you know people won't be deceived. Mm -hmm. But you know they're painting these chips and things, and however it's going to end up to be the mark, so, you know that you know you have to have to buy or sell and will right. declare your loyalty to the new world order mm -hmm. or fighting for rebellion or to go into god it's going to be presented in in ways that are totally acceptable and natural for people to want to take and want right. to take that right. mark right yes. and that's that's what they tend to do in the preparation process right let's get us ready to do that right so how are things up in Canada with regard to the political climate? I mean, is it getting crazy with regard to the police state measures and the tyranny? And, or is it you know, it's, 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 
it's relatively stable. It's not moving quickly in that direction. Mm -hmm. There are certain things that are incrementally moving in. Uh, certainly our current prime minister um, is uh, very much uh, a globalist and very much uh, wanting uh -huh. to do more globalist things. And that's kind of yeah. where his participation really falls in. Mm -hmm. uh, he's very much in... Um, in bringing religions together and he's all about that and uh you know but you know he also comes from bloodlines right he's a descendant right. of the uh, de of the sinclairs so oh, okay, right. um, yeah. his, his, his mother's uh, margaret sinclair um, oh wow yeah and uh, very much um works with uh, and family friends with the aga khan and so you can see all of these sort of connections and so yeah he, the for the good thing is is that he's not an uh, an activist prime minister and other and he's not a doer right he's more of a lightweight and more of a talker but he he does move things in in the globalist direction mm -hmm. um in fact you... in, in fact he just paid 10 10 million dollars to a terrorist oh my goodness wow <laughs> yes yeah big news up in canada so oh my goodness wow yeah um if you could write uh, three books, which I know you're working on one with the Lost Tribes right now, but mm -hmm. if you had time to put together two others, uh, what kind of what kind of titles or what would the focus of those be? Well, the 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 net one I'll do after the Lost Tribes is uh, going to be uh, the Rapture. Uh, I haven't got a uh, title on, uh, title on that, but I just yeah, I, I really want to put all of the, the the verses together and tell a very very straightforward story and the other things that sort of intertwine around why the rapture is very very important so mm -hmm. um and after that um i'm not sure which one i would do after that um but it would certainly be prophetic in nature and yeah. uh and, and it may be world war three uh oh, well, right on yeah so as opposed to Armageddon. Uh-huh. All right. Well, we appreciate you, brother, so very much. I thank you again, Gary, for coming on with us. Uh, the last two shows, I think, will be most spectacular and that uh, the listeners will enjoy, uh, you know, our commentary and conversation. Uh, give you chance for final dialogue. I mean, for final comment, we've got uh, a minute and a half remaining. Um, yeah, so I think we covered off a lot of information in terms of a series of rebellion that was going on with the fallen angels and that it hasn't played out yet. And the coming in time is that final rebellion, as Revelation 12 will talk about. Not only is Judea fleeing after the abomination in the middle part, um, but you have a war in heaven and the balance of angels are being sent to the earth for the final stand and so mm -hmm. this that is the denouement of the and, and the climax uh shortly thereafter of this big stand so that all the weight of the fallen angels will be behind antichrist and all those fighting for god and but it's all when we read in revelation 19 it's over very quickly um, so yes. it won't take long. Right. I mean, the power right. is absolutely astounding. Right. Um, so uh, that would be sort of what I think we need to uh, finish on in terms of this 
two-day show and that even then it's not totally over because satan is going to be in prison for a thousand years right. and then and he's released again yes. and there's there's another gog magog war right and so again i think it's just this progression that slowly nails all of the guilt into the rebellion that uh, is unforgivable and whether or not they die or they burn in the lake of fire you pick your choose your your, your poison on that one uh, and we talked about Psalms 82 yesterday, but that will be the final act yes. for the rebellion.